Hi, Anne. Hey, Jim. How are you doing? I am doing well. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's Robot Anne. <laughs> the Stepford Podcast. Hey. Um, today we're going to be talking about the man, the myth, the genius, Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah. We'll, so, call, we'll call this the da, the da Vinci Podcast. The Da Vinci Codex. <laughs> Why, uh, well, one of the things, I think we mentioned this uh maybe a couple of weeks ago, uh, that we were, one of the reasons we're doing this is in the end of of 2022, we spent a little bit of time in Lombardy. We were in Milan. We were in, we were in Leonardo land. Right? Yeah. So we actually got to, um, see some of the places in Milan that relate to his life. And so today we're going to talk about specifically his writing in the notebooks. I mean, mm -hmm. Leonardo is thought of, I think, primarily as an artist, but he was so much more. I mean, he's sort of the 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 prototype of the Renaissance man. He was obviously he was a painter, he's a sculptor, he was a um an inventor, a scientist, an architect, a military strategist. Um Anything else? Not so good a dentist. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you yeah, never yeah. know. Who knows? <laughs> he, he knew a lot about anatomy, yeah. so he might have might have been better than than yeah. the dentists of that time. I quip. I so joke. We're as far as the text for today. We're going to be talking a little bit about his notebooks, mm -hmm. which you know, as I just gave that description of what he's like. That's what his notebook is like. It's it's really it's all over the place. It's sort of a, a compilation of various writings and drawings and ideas that he has. And um, they're interesting. I mean, they're, it's not something you're going to pick up and read from the first page to the last page. But I think that you can kind of leaf through and get a sense of this person as a, you know, he was called in his time a universal genius, meaning that he had genius in a variety of different fields. Right. But I think what what sort of underlines everything is his his emphasis on observation mm. and investigation and curiosity. And I think maybe that's what, you know, goes into this idea of genius, you know, what is a genius. Mm. Um so I thought we would start with just kind of let's set the table. All right. Let's talk Broad about where, outline where of was his he life. Born and then we'll get into a little bit more of the notebooks, and then we'll talk a little bit about how you might construct a Leonardo itinerary. So was he from a place called Vinci? He was from a place. All right. So his last name was not Da Vinci. His last, he didn't have a last name. Um, da Vinci just means that he came from the town called Vinci, which is... Um, just a maybe half hour outside of Florence. Yeah. West of Florence mm -hmm. and um, small town. And his father was a notary, which. Right. Not I, a notary public, a notary. <laughs> so what now, is, explain? Well, yeah. So a notary uh, requires, and you, you have notaries in Italy today and through in various places in, in, in the world. Um, and notaries typically require training in the law. They're, they're legal attaches, typically associated with the bureaucracy. So they're recording deeds, they're recording agreements. They're not advocates. Bureaucrats. Right. They're not. 
Yeah. They are. I mean, yeah. that's... but they're, but they're 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 in the administration, right? They're in the city administration, typically, or the or the the duchy administration. So they're um, you can think of them as the legal staff, but not advocates, right? And that's what his father did, Ser Piero. Ser Piero. His mother, mm, we don't exactly know. They were not married. Right. Um, his father went with him to Florence in the 1460s. Um, where his father was working in what's now the Bargello Gallery, but um, the the Palazzo del Podesta, his father was working for the city. And, you know, you could visit the Bargello, which is, as we were saying, is, a, is now a museum dedicated to sculpture in Florence. There he was kind of discovered, actually he was apprenticed, by his father to the to the painter Andrea Verrocchio in Florence, who had a, his workshop in Florence, and you know Verrocchio saw his talent and said, "This kid's, you know, I'm putting down my brushes and I'm going to let mm. this kid take over." Yeah, he he displayed talent in in drawing and design quite early, quite young. Yeah, that, that's clear from, from from most accounts. And so there he was in Florence at a really good time to be painting in Florence. Mm. So you had the artists, um, you had Botticelli and Perugino, Ghiberti, um, who did the the marvelous doors of the baptistry in Florence. But in addition, there was also this, it was really the, the Renaissance for Florence. There was, the, you know, the, the Medici, we're going to get it. I don't know if I will say court, but the the Medici circle right. with the humanists like Ficino. Um, and there was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there were people that were willing to be patrons for him. So, I, you know, one of the things I was thinking about as far as genius is genius um, certainly is this kind of innate talent. But I think there's also his good fortune of being born at a time where there's there is this climate of acceptance and and you know putting and money. I mean, there, Florence was a city with a whole lot of money, um, and you know this leads to his development of of obviously in the artistic world, but also in other in scientific. Um, yeah, and I think it's it's worth noting that we place we 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 divide these things up, and they're often not. Um, they're not as distinct as we think they are, right? Because art is a kind of uh, is a kind of it's a kind of making and a kind of technology. So, and we certainly see this in Leonardo's life, where he's experimenting with techniques and experimenting with ways of doing things that that require engineering. Right. And, and I think what's so neat about Leonardo is that so many of the things he did, so many of his inventions, and also his artistic innovations, were failures. Right. You know that that they didn't work. He wasn't, for for instance, with the innovation for the inventions. In many cases, there the technology just hadn't or unrealizable. Right. Right. There, right? And yeah. what's interesting is that when the technology got to a point where you could actually build this, whatever his. Well, so things like I know this is one of your favorite phrases that we will you were, <laughs> you wanted to save for later, but the aerial screw, the aerial screw, which is a, which is a helicopter, right? But but <laughs> but the, but the p- primary problem with a lot of these things is is there's not a source of energy sufficient to power them, right? There's right. not there's not a way to keep these things turning. You can't you can't have horses running around. There's there's nothing with enough energy density to to. But the the principles of flight that they embody are, are sound. Rel- are sound. Yes. So in addition to that famous aerial screw um 
he had this ornithopter, this like a pedal. Um, My uncle was an ornithopter, <laughs> um, but he was uh, was paroled. Uh, All right. Okay. That also parachutes. Um, hang, he was obsessed with flying, hang glider. Um, but in addition, he also designed, or he had in mind, a design for a tank, mm-hmm. a bicycle, a wooden bicycle, which again, it just didn't work quite yet. A paddle boat, mm-hmm. um, a rotisserie, you know, for like just this idea of like, hey, how could we cook the chicken more um, evenly. I, now, now, rotisseries, though, I got to think that they're, they're in yeah, existence sure. generally. But yeah. this idea yeah. of one that would be going on its own, so you uh. don't have some, you know. Um, anyway, so we were talking about his, his painting, but he, he went to, um, let's see, about, uh, he went 1482 to Milan, where he was, he was, the patron of, or he was patronized by the Sforza yeah. family. And that's also where he, I mean, he kind of was pitching himself as this military strategist and designer for, which is important for the Sforzas because of the threat of, of the French, of the French troops. But he also did some of his most famous paintings there in Milan. Mm-hmm. Um, back to the notebooks, you know, they, they com- consist of, of, over 13,000 pages of notes. They are sketches. They are inventions. Um, he had been given permission back in Florence. He'd been given permission to dissect cadavers at the hospital of Santa Maria Novella in Florence, which mm-hmm. um, was incidentally founded by Beatrice's, Beatrice's mm. father, mm. the Beatrice of Dante. Um, he founded founded fame. that hospital, hmm. but so he was given the which you know was kind of a big thing too you know fifteenth century to because it was like this is not something you're supposed to be doing um, carving up dead bodies but he was given the permission to dissect it and he he had this very first hand knowledge of anatomy. Um, it's thought that the notebooks were written were intended for publication that he was thinking yes. people are going to want to read this. Um, most are written in mirror cursive. So Leonardo was a lefty. He was a left-handed writer. And, in, and um, you know, we typically write from light, um, left to right. And part of the reason we write that way is so that with a right hand, you're not smudging the ink. Mm-hmm. So that's what he did from left to right. So he wrote backwards. It's mirror. You know, you can hold up his his notebooks and see see them in a mirror. Um he takes this very observational, kind of Aristotelian approach to looking at the world. Observation, experimentation, dissection. Um, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of imagination to his work. Hmm. So he also, like in some of his drawings, he draws these these monsters that are kind of like compilations of various creatures kind of put together. So maybe that's... His genius is, you know, the putting together of imagination and real-world application. Hmm. Um, as I said, he was really obsessed with the with flight and also with optics. And optics makes a lot of sense for a painter. Sure. You know, that you're going to think, where is the light coming from? How does it affect 
what I'm seeing? How do those hills look in the distance? You know, if you look, yeah. think about some of his paintings. It's also interesting in as much as his approach to optics is very mathematical. Yes. And one yes. of the first things, so, um, and maybe we'll, we'll put this in, in the notes, we'll link to them, but, uh, the notebooks and various writings of, of Leonardo are available from Dover, which is a kind of a good place to get, um, at a, at a reasonable price. A lot of this, uh, a lot of the sorts of things that we do. Uh, here on the show. But uh, one of the first things he says in the first volume, let me see if I can find it, is, and it's, again, one of these little asides, he just says, uh, let no man who is not a mathematician read the elements of my work. So he takes the mathematical, and in, 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 another, in another part, he, he, when he's, as he's talking about optics, he cites Euclid's optics, which is not a very well-known mm. work today, but um, but really reduces... The, the elements of perspective, I think, in, in a large part, kind of come out of this geometrical reasoning that he sure. does. And he reduced, he's very insistent, you know, well before Leonardo, pe- people are using perspective, but Le- Leonardo wants to kind of lay it out in some kind of a systematic way, I think. Mm. Well, he's influenced also, we, we should do a podcast on Alberti, Alberti's ideas of perspective mm. and how they relate to to some of the artwork that's coming out in the Renaissance. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me that he's recognized in his time as a genius. Mm. And he's given um, more and more as time goes on, he's given free reign to just kind of go. And, and it, what's interesting to me is, as I said, so many of his inventions were failures in the sense that they didn't actually get built or they just lack the the means or the technology to do it. But that doesn't mean, to me, I, I see it, it's very inspirational that that doesn't mean that he was a failure in any way. And his goal was not necessarily to actually fly, but it was to investigate flight. Like, what does it mean? And how can we do it? And what, and various ways, you know, as I mentioned, there's this, you know, the, the, parachuting, um, hang gliding, aerial screw. I mean, whatever, what, just various ways of conquering that, that challenge. You don't think he would have liked to have flying, flown, though? That, that would well, have been... why then did he have his assistant, Tommaso, take, take, <laughs> take, the, the, dive. take the risk? Yeah, um, yeah I, I, I think, you know, I feel like the, the idea of flight has so so captivated people from his I, like I, we just take it for granted i was on a you know i was on a plane a month ago and i was thinking i'm what 30,000 40,000 feet above the earth in this metal container and flying you know 100 years ago that was you know even though there were there were airplanes it, but the idea that you could put whatever 200 people in a plane and and get across the Atlantic Ocean it's it's extraordinary um so I, I so many things sort of come together with Leonardo I do think there's this innate quality to him he also has an innate quality of kind of um you know maybe we might call it attention deficit but that's not quite you know that, like that's a sort of a misleading term because it really is too much attention. So he turns to projects and he becomes immersed in them. And then it's like, ah, he goes off because he sees something else. And, or maybe it's just not working the way he thought it was going to. So he goes off and does something else. But I think the world is so much richer for that. 
that he didn't just keep at that, I don't know what, the um, the painting in the Palazzo Vecchio in Florence and just keep at it and keep at it. Yeah, he went off. I mean, there were other things going on for him to leave that project, but this idea, like, maybe persistence is not the most important thing to genius? I don't know. I also, I mean, this also... Well, I, but there is there is a persistence. There's not... Um, he moves on to, to projects. I, it, it, weirdly, I think there's a, there's a sense, and this, we can talk a little bit about our experience in Milan later, but when you look at something like The Last Supper, you start to think about the permanence of things. And I wonder how important, I think, for Leonardo, as I looked at that, the, the fact that it's not a permanent painting. And I, I suspect that he kind of knew that as well, that there are ways to do the painting, but he was interested in the color and the immediate effect. Um, and there's, there's a difference between um, experimentation, I think, and having that kind of a mindset that allows you to, to be free. In a sense, you, you have to push past and you have to let things go quickly to move on to the next thing while it's still fresh in your mind and, and while you, you can bring it, bring it to life. So I think, having a mind like that requires you to, to continue to move on. So I don't know that it's not about, he's, he's persistent. He's just not persistent with the same thing. Well, and you might say <laughs> he, he accomplished what he wanted to do, which was to find out what happens if I do this particular technique with the paint. Right. Or if I do this particular pose, you know, how do I capture this moment? Uh, you know, in the last supper, it's the moment in which Jesus says, one of you at this table is, is going to betray me. It's, it's like there's a collective inhale. <gasps> what? You know, and he, he captures that moment. And I think then he kind of moves on. Well, one of the things that was interesting when I when I saw the Last Supper and then started looking at other paintings is he also sorts of lives on in the imagination of other artists, because you'll find at least you'll find several other painters who are it would be it would be a mistake to say they were influenced by the Last Supper. They really want to copy it. I mean, they they're 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 so blown away by it that they they try to reproduce it and in a lot of ways to get a sense of what it must have looked like originally i think you have to see it and see the things that other people did only because things like his paint colors have faded in time but we know that at the time what he was going for were really brilliant colors that was part of the original appeal of it in addition to the composition so we get the composition but we can sort of i think infer from what other painters have done kind of the vividness of the color that makes sense. It's interesting too to me. I was thinking about his his painting. Is that how iconic his painting his paintings are? You know, if you said um, I need an image to represent art, <laughs> I think that the mm -hmm. Mona Lisa is going to be like one of the first. Like if a, a whatever a graphic designer well, says, "Hey, this way to the art," it's going to be a picture of a Mona Lisa. You find it in things like emojis and things like yeah. that. You find a little a little postage stamp sized Mona Lisa is the thing people. And in will fact, go the to Mona there. Lisa and the the La Gioconda, it's called in Italian, the and the Last Supper, are two of the most replicated, copied images in the world. To this day, I mean that they they just are, you know. They're you you were talking about artists trying to copy the Last Supper for various effects, just to kind of learn how he did that. But what is it about these these images have become sort of iconic? I mean, they've become like icons. They, they weren't intended as icons, you know, as like a religious 
icon, but um, they have become like they they have a kind of meaning to them that goes beyond the paint on the paper. So I just to you know kind of give a brief summary of some of the um, paintings because I because they are a bit scattered around the world. But if you can't get to Italy, you can maybe get to Washington, D.C., to the National Gallery to see Ginevra de Benci, one of his mm. earliest paintings from uh, 1474, 78. Um, and then, of course, you get to Florence in the Uffizi. There's several paintings. Um, in the Louvre, there's La Gioconda, the Mona Lisa, which has its own room and is, you know, it's kind of... You know, the thing that everyone says when they go to see the Mona Lisa is, I didn't realize it was so small, <laughs> you know? Doesn't everyone say that? Um, and, Which I always found weird because it's not a particularly small painting. It's not. Well, you know what it is, is that you have 50 yeah, people right. trying to look at it at the same time. You're not near it, yeah. Um, and you're not near it, and but it, it's an extraordinary painting. I mean, I guess if you were going to the Louvre to see, with the intention of seeing the Mona Lisa, maybe the best thing to do would be to go very early in the morning. Um, there's also the Virgin of the Rocks, which is also in the Louvre. Um, the Last Supper, as we were we were saying, um, the Vitruvian Man. That's the image of the man on a in a circle, you know, outstretched a, a nude with his arms touching. You know, again, that's a mathematical image. Right, right. You and know, it's about it's about, but it's, it's, it's about, about proportion. I was about to say, yeah, exactly. It's about both both mathematics and proportion and kind of a joy in, there's a joy in, in the created world in it that is, just shines out of an image like that. Yeah. So I, I began thinking what you could do as a Leonardo-themed itinerary in Italy. Okay. So to begin with, there's Vinci, the town where he was born. Um, you know, he would not have been known as Da Vinci. He was known as Leonardo. He was Leonardo from Vinci, Leonardo da Vinci. So to call him da Vinci doesn't really make sense. It is his birthplace, um, and there there is a museum. You know, as I said, it's about an hour west of Florence. You could combine it with maybe trips to Pistoia, Montecatini Terme. I mean, it's so it would be, you know, as I said, it's about an hour. I think you probably could take a train. I would look into it. But um, you might want to drive so that you could see some of the other towns. And it's just a small town. So it has this museum, which, you know, he didn't do a whole lot of art in Vinci. But, hey, they're like, hey, we're Vinci. This is where Leonardo right. was born. You can um, – so they have the, all, the rep, all the copies of his famous designs and a library that has facsimiles of all the manuscripts and the drawings that he ever made. Um, so like, say, if you just wanted to go one spot, you could, and it wasn't important to you to see the originals, you could see the copies there. In addition, you can go to the church of Santa Croce, which has, still has the same baptismal font where Leonardo was baptized. And I think also it's not a small thing to look at the hills, to look, you know, when you see those Leonardo paintings, like the, uh, Mona Lisa or, um, the Virgin and Child with St. Anne and John the Baptist or the um, Virgin of the Rocks where they have in the backdrop this, those hills with the cypress trees. And I think sometimes it's good to be in the place and to look around and see what inspired those kinds of paintings. 
So next, obviously, would be Florence, because that's where he starts out his career, both as an artist and also an inventor. And in Florence, of course, there is a Leonardo da Vinci Museum um, that focuses on being interactive. So it's like trying to to figure out these inventions and how they worked and pulleys and, you know, like how how you can kind of get immersed in the in the um, in the inventions. We mentioned the Bargello Museum, which is now a sculpture museum, but was also the, it was kind of the, the jail, you know, where the, what the equivalent of the sheriff would have been. Um, and so you could visit that just because I would say visit it just because it's an amazing museum that gets a fraction of the visitors that the Uffizi does. Um, you can actually visit the spot where the, the workshop of Andrea del Verrocchio was. And as I mentioned, there is that entire room dedicated to Leonardo in the Uffizi Gallery. In addition, there's the, in the Palazzo Vecchio, they have a whole um, display about that in the Salone dei Cinquecento, the, the, the room of the 500, where there is that great wall that Leonardo, that, they, that the um, Republic gave to Leonardo to design this this painting of the Battle of Anghieri, and on the opposite wall, Michelangelo was going to design his painting of the Battle of Cascina. Um, neither one of them actually came to fruition, but it's an interesting history of patronage and uh, competition between artists, also um, how they worked, what kind of materials they used, um, they were both given, it was a little bit of a battle between artists. They were each, like the scene was a battle, but it was a battle between really the greatest artists of the Renaissance, which is kind of an amazing, an amazing thing. Um, in addition, uh, so at that point he went to Milan, but for the time, you know, just for a moment, we're going to stay in Florence just because we're talking more about an itinerary you might take if you were actually visiting Florence. So he was also on the committee in 1504 to figure out what to do with Michelangelo's statue of David. Now we talked about Michelangelo many episodes ago. What we kind of focused on Michelangelo as the poet, but of course we talked about his work. So that statue of David which is you know that that too is also an iconic image um of the Renaissance or of art. And initially it, that statue was meant to go on the on top of the cathedral, the Duomo of, of Florence, which was impractical because it, it's like six tons. So, you know, try to put 12,000 pounds of marble on top of a cathedral was not a great idea. They love this. It's like, love the statue, Michelangelo, but we can't put it where we were thinking. So he was part of the committee to kind of decide where to put the, the, uh, the statue. And it was decided to put it where, you know, the entrance of the Palazzo dei Priori, which Today, there is a replica of the statue there. It's also, you know, I'll have to look into this, but I also read that he suggested that the statue be covered up, <laughs> you know, that, that he needed a loincloth or something, which doesn't sound very Leonardo to me, but it may be that he was kind of like, you know. Well, if you're considering putting it on the Duomo, it, it actually does not seem appropriate for the Duomo. It, it, it would be the highest point, and you, the the image of, I guess it's the image of David, but still, even the image of David. It's a nude, a, too. 
it's a, it's nude, a full nude. But you you would think that at, at the summit you might have a statue of Jesus if you or a cross or something. Like yeah, that and at it the doesn't summit. strike you as a religion, even though it is right. right. Um, he was also given the job of given a kind of a hydraulic project uh, to dam up the Arno to create a seaport in Florence. And this would actually be at the disadvantage, you know, of Pisa. So Florence and Pisa were always fighting and this would really put an end, have put an end to it. Um, so he designed this series of dams in which the, the Arno would be diverted and um, they hired a contractor who did not quite do Leonardo's um, designs to specification. He cut, he took some shortcuts and there was also some bad weather and it just didn't work out. The project didn't work. And finally, you know, we were talking about his obsession with flight. He did some test runs in mm -hmm. the hills just north of Florence, like in the Fiesole Hills and um, with his trusty assistant, Tommaso Mazzini. <laughs> and to see just if it can work. I mean, he has this so-called codex on the flight of birds. And he he actually talks about Tommaso Mazzini. He's going to be the pilot. But um, we're not really sure exactly what happened. With You know, there, we're left with anecdotes that it suggests that this was, you know, the the first flight by man, but also that Tommaso broke a couple of bones. So it may have not worked so well. Um, in addition, around Florence, go ahead, hit the hills, hit the county hills, because I think that when you just, it's just so beautiful, and you look around and you will recognize, perhaps not specific places, but you're going to recognize the kinds of geographical um, backdrops that Leonardo was using. So now let's talk about Milan. Yeah, absolutely. Just because also Milan was uh, where we went back in November. And so Leonardo, in 1482, he moved to Milan. Um, you know, I think we were talking about this. He kind of pitched himself to Ludovico Sforza, who was the Duke of Milan. Uh, he pitched himself not so much, hey, you know, I've done a lot of painting, but I am actually a great engineer. And he was a great engineer, but right. a military yeah. engineer. And the Duke of Sforza, uh, the Dukes um, of Milan needed a great military engineer because he was constantly being threatened by the French. And so he kind of enlisted him to do urban planning that would be protect, that would protect the city. In addition, he did some of his greatest works, you know, the Virgin of the rocks, the last supper and the court life really suited him. <laughs> you know, it was like, Oh, he got money for clothes. He was known as a fancy dresser. Yeah. Um, he he, and he didn't have to worry about money, which is huge for right. an artist. Yeah. I mean, this is still huge today. He did leave Milan with the um, attack in 1499. He went. He was spent some time in in the Veneto. He was also in Emilia Romagna, and he was in Florence as well. You know, I was talking about the 1504 designs he was doing about the Arno, but he would go back to Milan in 1506 and worked on this tremendous equestrian statue that the, that the Duke of Milan had, um, had contracted him to do or had was paying him to do. And during all this time, he was compiling these notebooks. 
So this is what we were talking about as far as the writing. So in Milan, there are a bunch of places that you can go visit that are, you know, Leonardo sites. You know, in um, Palazzo della Scala, there's a statue to Leonardo. I think it's a, I think it's a 19th century statue. But there's also the this museum called the Leonardo Tre, Leonardo Three, and it is again one of these very interactive museums more focused on his inventions. In addition, of course, there is the the Last Supper itself, which is in the church of Santa Maria delle delle Grazie um, in the Cinacolo. That is actually, it's off of the church. It's um, it's in the, the oratory. It would, would have been, of course, the room, it makes sense, the room where the, the monks would have been, would have eaten. Mm-hmm. So that's where you would put this giant painting of the Last Supper. It was finished in 1498 and began to deteriorate almost immediately because of the painting techniques he used. There was a massive restoration work that was started in 1999 that's since completed, um, which you can go. And it's actually the restoration is very interesting as well. This is one of those places in Italy you absolutely have to do advanced booking. You yeah. can't just show up to Milan and say, hey, I feel like going to see the Last Supper tomorrow. You you have to book in advance. Um, and it also gets sold out because there are like tour groups that will buy up a whole chunk of tickets. So when you get a ticket, you get a ticket. It's timed entry and you get 15 minutes in the room with the Last Supper with a group. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of yeah. like everyone goes in and you're like, oh, look, look, I got to look all over. And then you go out. Okay. We did a, a really interesting, we got a very interesting ticket that included a workshop that right. followed our viewing of the Last Supper in which the um, tour guide, well, first of all, she gave a, before we went into the room, she gave a, an, a little bit of summary about his life and about the work and about the restoration and how the church itself was bombed during World War II, and somehow miraculously, this wall with the Last Supper remained standing, and it wasn't destroyed. Um, you go in, you have your fifteen minutes with Leonardo, and then you go. And it the the workshop was great. We should share some of our drawings. So we we got to use chalk, and she talked about how he did these paintings, and we got to try to do our own copies of Leonardo. Mm-hmm. So that was a lot of fun. It was, yeah. But as I said. Advanced bookings absolutely required. We'll share. I'm. I will be sharing more things probably on Facebook. I think that's easier than doing things on the website. Um, and Insta. And Instagram, but I mean, as far as links and things. Um, yeah. So we'll do Instagram and also Facebook. So if you haven't already been following us on Instagram and Facebook, go do it. <laughs> um, right nearby, there's also the vineyard, Leonardo's Vineyard, which the Swartza family gave to him because they were so happy with the, the Last Supper. And um, there's a hotel there that you can stay in mm-hmm. that I probably can't afford. Um, you can also visit his horse. As I said, this giant equestrian statue that the Duke of um, Milan wanted him to make. He wanted him, a probably... He wanted to outdo the Marcus Aurelius statue that's outside the Capitol Museum in Rome. I don't know if you remember right at the top of those stairs by the Capitol Museum. He wanted something even bigger and have this giant horse. And Leonardo had the designs. Um, they procured tons and tons, 80 tons of bronze to cast the statue. But then the French troops invaded. And so that 
kind of brought an end to it. Um, the, the bronze had to be used for weapons. And the model that he had made of the horse was probably destroyed by the French troops in, in Milan after they, they, they kind of invaded, kind of. They did invade. But um, more recently in the 20th century, they've actually made a statue of this horse based on his drawings. Hmm. So you can go visit that um, in Milan. There's also in the Pinacoteca Ambrosiana, you can see the Leonardo Codex. So these are his 12-volume bound sets of, of drawings. And, you know, you mentioned the Dover notebooks, which are awesome. I think it's great. It's an affordable way of, of seeing his notebooks. But, um, you know, in this, to see the Codex, um, just to understand that this is a, not dilution, but it is... Um, you know, it's an edited version sure. of his notebooks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, pl- as I said, it was 13,000 pages. It's the Reader's Digest condensed version. <laughs> right. Um, in addition, of course, there's the Leonardo da Vinci National Science and Technology Museum. Yeah. So that Milan. I have to strongly recommend because yeah. I, I think, I, I feel like as we as we kind of walked through talking about inventions and talking about, you, I don't think you really get a sense of that until you see this, the, the in, intensity of... Uh, of the clamor for his work and for his for his attention that people like the Sforzas showed because of their their the military applications and and spoke uh, and you spoke about the uh, about the failed inventions but there were a lot of real inventions out in the field that are documented there um, whether those are, are are you know armored vehicles or in um, one of the things I, I remember quite clearly, they showed. Uh, you may be familiar with um, various uh, slings or catapults or the trebuchet. He had he had done a uh, a variation on the trebuchet that uh, far outpaced the the sort of performance that you would get in terms of um, projectile firing projectiles, and those are all documented there. And the storytelling of the museum is that is really good. It's first rate. Yeah, so and it goes from it. like, and it, it focuses on focuses on various different kinds of, um, you know, like I'm trying to remember when you go down in the basement and they talk about the ironworks, mm-hmm. you know, and then they talk about their optics, and they it, it's a huge, it's a big museum, and it ends up to the present day with, um boats and ships and airplanes and, you know, it goes right on into, you know, to rocketry. So take your time with it. I think it's, I, I agree that it's definitely a place that's worth visiting. Um, there's also, you know, as we said, there are rooms and rooms that have showcase, you know, they showcase his drawings, his models, his anatomical drawings, and just, you know, just kind of saying, look, you know, look at all this amazing science. Amazing, interesting scientific stuff. <clears throat> in addition, in Milan, there's the Sforza Castle, the Castello Sforzesco, which um, is where he lived. I mean, that's where the Duke of Milan was um, and where Leonardo was, you know, had his, when he was able to live there and, and work there. There is in the um, in the museum, which we happened to go to, I don't know if you remember, we we just were like, Hey, let's check out this museum. We started walking in and they said, do you have a ticket? And we said, no, we don't. And they said, that's okay because it's free today. <laughs> it <laughs> right. was like, <laughs> it 
was so strange. The guard was like, it's, but it's free. It was like she was just making it up. But you can see one of his other frescoes, you know, other than the, the Last Supper, in the Sala de Leasse, which is really more of a decorative botanical drawing. In addition, also in Milan, there are the Navigli. These are these canals in this, the canals of the Navigli area in, in Milan, which today are kind of a, like a hip happening nightlife kind of spot for cafes and bars and things like that. But he helped to design some of these canals, and he also designed um, a kind of lock for the canals, which is still being used in some places today. So there you have it. And then, though, in 1515, he, the um, French king, Francis I, was like, I got to get me one of them artists. And he, I guess he, you know, invited Leonardo and certainly gave him plenty of, of money to stay at the court and to paint for him as well. And that's where Leonardo died in 1519. So he's buried in... Um, Amboise, France. Right. So he spent a lot. So hopefully we'll we'll come back to this. Um, uh, uh, we'll have an opportunity to um, to to revisit Leonardo just because he's such a fascinating person. But our little or one, my little postscript because we don't really have a lot of stuff on Amboise, but we've never been. But I would love to go. So Amboise is in the Loire Valley. The Loire Valley is well. The Loire Valley is a is wine. Well, yeah, it's a, it's one of my favorite. This is a, just a personal thing. It's one of my favorite um, French regions. So whites there are like Sancerre and Vouvray, but um, but there is there is a huge there is a big museum for um, for Leonardo in in Amboise, and they did quite a bit at the five hundredth anniversary of his death. In fact, I think it was the curator was on NPR at the time and said something like, you know, La Joconde is in is in France. So for us, we think we think Leonardo is just a little bit French, which I, I kind of like. That's a very sweet way of putting it. But there were, uh, but it um, there are wineries uh, nearby. Uh, you can see his, the house that he stayed uh, was uh, Le Clos Lucet, uh, where he lived for I, I think uh, uh, for quite a few years. Um, and he continued to work up to his death. Yes. Continued, you know. So yeah. there's, there's definitely the story. The story part two. The story continues. We're already doing the sequel for this episode. Yeah, yeah. After uh, we go to to Amboise. Yeah, born fifteen, uh, fourteen fifty two. Died uh, fifteen nineteen. So you do the math. <laughs> Going to <laughs> six. He was in his sixties when he died. Yeah. Um, and 67. as you said, you know, he was working right up until the end, and he. Really, from the very beginning to the very end. So, yep. a, a fascinating figure. I really think we could do an entire podcast on La Gioconda on the on the Mona Lisa. Painting. I think we could do an we could have an entire split off podcast series just on Leonardo. <laughs> uh, yeah, we we definitely could. But I'm um, I'm glad to talk about it, and especially you know, the Last Supper, the Lutima Cena is there. Is there are certain things where you go to visit and you say. Wow, that was as amazing as as people said it was going to be, and that's one of those. And I, I I think it's definitely worth it if you're going to be in Milan. Um, definitely before you go, start looking about getting tickets. Be careful because some of the places, like if you Google tickets to to the Last Supper, you're going to actually find tour groups that are charging you a lot more. I can't remember what it was. It was maybe ten euro a ticket. It's really not that much. And it, so if you get the actual, if you go through the official Cenacolo, um, 
website, you can just get those, those, you know, normal rate tickets, but you may not get them unless you purchase about three months ahead of time. You have to start looking about three months ahead of time. I just found it and I was like, boom, we're going, (laughs) we're going to be in Milan that day. All righty. All right. We'll share some of the photos on Instagram, Facebook. We'll share some links to more information about Leonardo because he's fascinating. And share with us as well what you think, um, if you've seen some of his works um, and what you think his, what do you think a notebook is? I, I, I know Jim wasn't that interested in this, but what yeah. is a notebook? And and how does a notebook kind of sum up a person or not? I, I'd like to explore that a little bit more alla prossima amici okay. ciao ciao